Chapter One of Eliza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Eliza by Barry Payne. Chapter One. Eliza's husband. Suppose, I said to one of the junior clerks at our office the other day, you were asked to describe yourself in a few words. Could you do it? His answer that he could describe me in two was no answer at all. Also, the two words were not a description and were so offensive that I did not continue the conversation. I believe there are but few people who could give you an accurate description of themselves. Often in the train to and from the city, or while walking in the street, I think over myself what I have been, what I am, what I might be if, financially speaking, it would run to it. I imagine how I should act under different circumstances, on the receipt of a large legacy, or if for some specially clever action I were taken into partnership, or if a mad bull came down the street. I may say that I make a regular study of myself. I have, from time to time, recorded on paper some of the more important incidents of our married life, affecting Eliza and myself, and I present them to you, gentle reader, in this volume. I think they show how, with a very limited income, and but for an occasional assistance from Eliza's mother, I do not know how we should have got along, a man may to a great extent preserve respectability, show taste and judgment, and manage his wife and home. The more I think about myself, the more, I say it in all modesty, the subject seems to grow. I shall call myself many-sided, and in many respects unlike ordinary men. Take, for instance, the question of taste. Some people would hardly think it worth while to mention a little thing like taste, but I do. I am not rich, but what I have I like to have ornamental, though not loud. Only the other day the question of glass cloths for the kitchen turned up, and though those with the red border were threepence a dozen dearer than the plain, I ordered them without hesitation. Eliza changed them next day, contrary to my wishes and we had a few words about it. But that is not the point. The real point is that if your taste comes out in a matter of glass cloths for the kitchen, it will also come out in antimacassars for the drawing room and higher things. Again, ordinary men, men that might possibly call themselves my equals, are not careful enough about respectability. Everywhere around me I see betting on horse races, checking trousers on Sunday, the wash hung out in the front gardens, whiskey and soda, front steps not properly whitened, and the door handle not up to the mark. I could point to houses where late hours on Sunday are so much the rule that the lady of the house comes down in her dressing gown to take in the milk, which, I am sure, Eliza would sooner die than do. There are families, in my own neighbourhood, I'm sorry to say, where the chimneys are not swept regularly, beer is fetched in broad daylight, and attendance at a place of worship on Sunday is rather the exception than the rule. 
Then again, language is an important point. To my mind, nothing marks a respectable man more than the use of genteel language. There may have been occasions when excessive provocation has led me to the use of regrettable expressions, but they have been few. As a rule, I avoid not only what is profane, but also anything that is slangy. I fail to understand this habit which the present generation has formed of picking up some meaningless phrase and using it in season and out of season. For some weeks I have been greatly annoyed by the way some of the clerks use the phrase, What oh she bumps? If you ask them who bumps, or how, or why, they have no answer but fits of silly laughter. Probably, before these words appear in print, that phrase will have been forgotten, and another equally ridiculous will have taken its place. It is not sensible. What is worse, it is not to my mind respectable. Do not imagine that I object to humour in conversation. That is a very different thing. I've made humorous remarks myself before now, mostly of a rather cynical and sarcastic kind. I am fond of my home, and any little addition to its furniture or decorations gives me sincere pleasure. Both in our home and in our manner of life there are many improvements which I am prevented by financial considerations from carrying out. If I were a rich man I would have the drawing-room walls a perfect mass of pictures. If I had money I could spend it judiciously and without absurdity. I should have the address stamped in gold on the note-paper, and use boot-trees, and never be without a cake in the house in case a friend dropped in to tea. Nor should I think twice about putting in an extra clean pair of cuffs in the week if I wanted. We should keep two servants. I am interested in the drama, if serious, and two or three times every month I should take Eliza to the dress circle. Our suburb has a train service which is particularly convenient for the theatres. Eliza would wear a dressy blouse. She shares my objections to anything cut out at the neck. A mackintosh and a sailor hat, the two latter to be removed before entering. I shall carry her evening shoes in a pretty cruel work bag. We've often discussed it. Curiously enough, she already has the bag though we seldom have an opportunity to use it in this way. Doubtless there are many other innovations which, with appropriate means, I could suggest. But I have said enough to show that they would all be in the direction of refinements and elegance, and the money would not be spent in foolishness or vice. As Eliza's husband, I shall perhaps say a word or two about her. She is a lady of high principles and great activity. Owing to my absence every day in the exercise of my profession, she is called upon to settle many questions, as, for instance, the other day, the question of what contribution, if any, should be given to the local fire brigade, where a word of advice from me would have been useful. If not actually independent, she is certainly not what would be described as a clinging woman. Indeed, she does occasionally take upon herself to enter on a line of action without consulting me, when my advice is perfectly at her disposal, and will perhaps save her from blunders. Last year she filled the coal cellar, unusually large for this type of house, 
right up at summer prices. Undoubtedly, she thought that she was practising an economy. But she was dealing with a coal merchant who does not give credit, a man who requires cash down and sees that he gets it. And, well, I need not go into details here, but it proved to be excessively inconvenient for me. She has lost the silly playfulness, which was rather a mark of her character during the period of our engagement. And if this is due to the sobering effects of association with a steady and thoughtful character, I am not displeased. She herself says it's hard work, but the women do not always know. Possibly, too, her temper is more easily ruffled now than then when I point out things to her. I should say that she was less ambitious than myself. I do not mention these little matters at all by way of finding fault. On the contrary, I have a very high opinion of Eliza. We have no children living. With these few prefatory words, gentle reader, I fling open the front door, to use a metaphorical expression, and invite you to witness a few scenes of our domestic life that I have from time to time recorded. End of chapter 1